Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Uh, welcome to another Nerdist Writers Panel podcast. Less a panel. Uh, but I'm thrilled to have Marlon Wayans here Still with me. Still a panel, man. Just because it's just me and you here doesn't mean it's not a panel. <laughs> Does that constitute a panel? Is yeah. that enough? Rick's here. Um, <laughs> I guess he's the co-writer and producer of the movie with me. And uh, So I guess it's kind of a panel. Right, Rick? Rick, you're in it now. Uh, yeah, I guess so. All I right. thought I was the silent panelist. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's, it's, it just makes it sound like it's much more, like, huger and more important if there's more panelists it's on true. the panel. There's a crowd of people outside also. There's a huge, <laughs> I mean, they're shopping, but that's not the point. Right, no. If if we would pull them to the side and go, hey, guys, listen, I'm pretty sure they would listen. Exactly. They should actually put us on through the loudspeaker of the whole shop. And people will stop. Yeah, like a Times Square. Exactly. They'll stop and go, wow, I'm listening to God's conversation. <laughs> uh, There's prayer going on here. That's right. Rick, who are you? <laughs> I, I am Rick Alvarez. I'm Marlon's producing and writing partner and co-writer of A Haunted House. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you both for being here. So um, he takes half the blame for this. Can I curse? Yeah, absolutely. He takes half the blame for this crazy shit. <laughs> I do. Well, let's talk about this crazy shit for a minute. Um, congratulations on the movie, first of all. Thank you. Like It, it did very well this opening weekend, it right? It did incredible. I mean, we only made the movie for less than two million bucks. I mean, when you could do that, that's if this was like... This is better than the drug game. We, we flipping shit. We flipping. We cooking. We cooking dope. We cooking dope and making movies with it. This is we laundering money, Rick. That's right. This is blow shit. It this is. is this is that crack cocaine, baby. This is that blue magic right there. I'm Nicky Bonds, and that's um. What's the other white guy? I don't know. I do it a whole. All right, I'm way. Nicky Bonds. That's all. And you that's Frank fine. White boy. I, I guess Nicky so. Bonds and Frank White boy. That's how. Yep. <laughs> Uh, is this how the writing process goes with you guys? Pretty it much. Does. <laughs> <laughs> I riff and he goes, nope, 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 yep. <laughs> you know, that idea of that was funny. Here's what you can do with that. And then we go back and forth. And then it gets that, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's kind of funny. I mean, but it's a, it's a fun uh, process because mm-hmm. you're literally just allowing people inside of each You're going inside of each other's heads and you're trusting each other's initial thoughts and you, you you try to build I don't just shoot down just to shoot down I try to go into the thought and try to discover it and go before I go yeah I went on that journey there's absolutely nothing there it's kind of like right. a gold hunt like you just like absolutely dig 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 there's not shit here yeah Let's but sometimes there is sometimes and there that's is. that's the exciting thing am I did you lose me here no you're still in there oh, okay yeah. I hear you Pete hit the table yesterday and then it hasn't been working ever since all right. Great. <laughs> Fucking Pete. We'll, we'll take this all out. It's okay. Everything up until now. You can keep uh, it there. I don't, I, it's all good. I like it when it's organic. Who wants to chop it up and shit? That's too easy. Who has the time? Are you on GarageBand right there? You're like, no, I'm on the internet doing some internet. <laughs> you're doing some internet porn shit. Exactly. My girl. Mm-hmm. This link hit me with the link. All right. Let, let's. Wow. <laughs> wow. You see that? That's called. That, that's what we call the whitey bike. That's. <laughs> he often gets on the whitey bike because mm-hmm. it, it sometimes is the whitey rocket. There's Wait. The, what, how is the rocket different from the bike? Because what happens is when I go too far, he like white people like to back 
pedal, like whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. So we call it the Whitey bike, and because but that's just, our comedy. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it's just too much. You you went too far. You like crossed the line. My comedy is very blue collar. I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna say everything that you're thinking, but you're too afraid to say, mm -hmm. or maybe you wasn't thinking that you would have never said. But I go fuck it. I'm gonna say it, and. He gets on the, the Whitey bike. My, we started with my manager, Lisa Bloom, who gets on. She is on the bike. Now she <laughs> she has a, sells Whitey bikes. She, she is. She is the, the maker. The of. She's the maker of Whitey bikes. <laughs> and now there's the Whitey rocket ship. There's the Whitey pogo stick. There's the Whitey, Whitey car. Sometimes you call. It's like the Bond car. You call into your wrist. And then the Whitey car pulls up. And you get in and... You pull off. You see my Michael Winslow just now? Awesome. That was nice. <laughs> I feel like it was a wasted opportunity in a haunted house. Yeah, we'll put Whitey Bike in there. Mm. Um, I'm actually curious about this. Maybe we can get specific for a second. Uh, on this movie, as you guys are working on it, what was the stuff when, you know, Marlon, you would say, this isn't far enough, or I'm, maybe I'm going too far, and then you would kind of rein him back, I, or like what made it into the movie, think, what didn't? I think if you look at the movie, mm -hmm. you will you will see that uh, we hardly reined anything back. Really, this movie is <laughs> of all the movies we've done, definitely the most raw and uncensored. This is what happens when your older brother's not around. <laughs> <laughs> this, was this were you like let loose on this one? Fuck it, it's like letting a <laughs> hungry pit bull off the chain. You, you let me do that. You let me do this. I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna do everything. But you know what? Honestly, what's crazy is as much crazy shit is on the screen. We actually did censor mm -hmm. ourselves. We did like we had the squirting scene um, with uh, Essence, and we decided not to show the squirt because we did film it. But we was just like, you know what? A little graphic. It's actually better if you discover it. And my, my our, our, our I am global Stuart for it. He had a concern, and then and we was like the fuck out of here. You know what I'm talking about? And then when we watched it, and we really thought about it, and we was just like, you know, is it worth it to do the special effect? Is it worth it for that? But sometimes if it went back to like old school radio, where you have to rely on just your hearing to make the joke funny and your imagination. It's like, and that's what made the joke to me funnier, the fact that you hear her squirt, but you don't actually see it. It sounds crazy. The fact no, that you're no. squirting, it's a little out there. <laughs> it's the, it's the mean, nuance if, of squirt jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. If we were talking about the shark in Jaws, it would be the same conversation. It there was. You go. Only this is a stranger context. This, this was our shark. shark. <laughs> this is our squirt. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. a squirt, a shark. It's S word. Okay. Um, so how was this? So in this film, you you like you say we're we're kind of let let off the reins. And so how was this different? What was the process on the earlier uh, films? Because I do hear this compared to the scary movie uh, franchise quite a bit. Well, we, we always, um, you know, when we do movies, Keenan, um, as a director and one of the producers and a writer, you know, you, you it's always about, you know, uh, with a guy with Ivory's experience, plus he's my older brother, he can punch me in the chest. You know, we always defer to him and he makes the decisions. At the end of the day, we throw a bunch of ideas and we allow him, we make the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And he takes and, you know, blows it up and puts it back together the way he, you know, feels like putting it back together. And, of course, it's with committee and we all have our influence and our say. But end of the day, you know, Big Brother, Godfather has, has the last say. Mm -hmm. And in this one, 
you know, Fredo, um, along with <laughs> Tom Hayden, <laughs> uh, Tom Hayden and Fredo uh, made the decisions, and it was good. You know, it's a different process, but you get to trust your instincts. I didn't have the uh, training wheels of my brothers on this time, and yeah. it felt good to to be a grown ass man. That's, did right. did you approach things differently than you do on those? I mean, on those, you're. It seems like you're suggesting things to Keenan. Uh, no, it's the same approach. Oh, really? Be- because when you're writing, you know, all writing is is for me. It's it's input, 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 output, output, output. Mm-hmm. It's brainstorming. It's you know, it's a lot of math, and you know, people think you know. Look, yeah, we do a lot of crazy, silly humor and some scatological humor, but trying to make um, everybody laugh at one time is a very hard thing to do. And if you can ever accomplish that consistently in any movie, um, it, it's 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 a huge accomplishment. So in this movie, it's the same process, which was it's create it's collecting information, watching. It's a lot of research, watching hundreds of movies that you hate, a hundred <laughs> movies that you love, and you know watching. We watch every episode of Paranormal State. I mean, we really did. That's people look hilarious. and they go, oh, yeah, it don't work. It took a lot of work, and sure. and and so. The, but the process was, you know, I'm in the room with Rick, and it, when Keenan, when we write with Keenan, it's more of like a writer's table mm-hmm. until we all go off. But when me and Rick did it, it was literally in the room every day banging it out collecting information going back and forth having fun and then once we spark to a character you know the way i write characters is like you know i'm i'm the character i always write every character like i'm about to do it and then and then you want to do every character (laughs) hey that's not the point no then you would do a good job (laughs) no but i I would but that's why, like, we wrote such fun characters. And then he joins in and goes and takes it to a whole nother place. And it was the f- fun going back and forth. It's fun when you make each other laugh. Absolutely. And you go, oh, that's fucking sick. And then you go, you know what? Oh, that's so sick. You know, if you do that. And it, it just becomes like two scientists in a room going, hey, mix the, the carbon dioxide with the mm-hmm. oxygen and put a little hydrogen in there. <laughs> okay, that blew up in our face. Let's try this with a little bit of zinc. You know what I mean? It's it, it, it's just creating formulas. That, that's funny. I mean, this idea of comedy as math or science comes up a lot in these. Uh, and it's something And they're talking about a shit joke. That's what's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about a shit joke, a <laughs> fart joke. This, man, it's a, it's a lot of uh, science in a fart joke. <laughs> <laughs> but it is this thing of, and, and I'm interested to hear you say, you know, trying to make as many people laugh at once. Because oftentimes, you know, a lot of these comedians won't worry about that. They'll do what makes them laugh. But, you know, you're writing a movie for an audience. Yeah. And I think people don't think about that often enough. Yeah, and you got to think about that guy that's in the front row that's going to hate your movie. Absolutely. He comes in there to hate your movie. <laughs> There's nothing you can literally do to make him enjoy it. So even in even in doing your because he hates scatological humor and he wants to prove himself fucking right that he's coming to see your movie and yeah, this movie is gonna be shit, just like every joke in the movie. But you wanna make that guy go, All right, <laughs> that was a good shit joke. <laughs> if you wanna include everybody, tell a joke, tell one joke to make the whole world laugh. You don't tell a bunch of jokes just to make yourself laugh because that's not the business of movies and you want people to enjoy your movie. Yeah. And that's what my brother Keenan told us. It's the people that you're uh, because we do some jokes that kind of hit on everybody's nerve you know we do some you know race jokes we do some 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 sex jokes we do some gender jokes we do some gay jokes we do we have jokes for everybody hopefully we include you know um everybody the people that we're making fun of laugh the hardest 
You know, when we did, um, uh, when Damon did Handyman on Living Color, handicapped people loved that character. Mm-hmm. Um, when they did in Living, uh, in Living Color and did that, um, um, what was the name of the character? The, the Men on Films. You know, that that's the college that we come from. You do things, you do hardcore things with kids' gloves. And it's never meant to offend. It's always never meant to exclude. It's always meant to include everybody with with a laugh. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that's an important thing that people often overlook in, in Living Color and in a lot of the stuff that it influenced, that it was a very inclusionary as well, uh, inclusive rather, as well as uh, celebratory yeah. kind of show. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of comedy has kind of come back yeah. in a way. You know, I mean, I, I feel like we see this on uh, Key and Peele and Portlandia and a lot of these other sketch shows that are popular mm-hmm. right now. Um, so it seems like this this was a huge forgive me for saying the obvious, but it was a huge experience for you uh, in Living Color and growing up surrounded, influenced by your very funny brothers. I mean, I grew up, this is this is what I was born to do. I was born to do nothing else. I was raised into the family of, of, of comedians, and mm-hmm. I really couldn't picture myself doing anything else. I've been doing this since I was five. Mm-hmm. Me and Sean wanted to, wanted to do uh, comedy so bad. Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck were our idols. You know, and yeah. if you look at Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, they're brilliant comedians. They were political. They were social. Their comedy was irreverent. It was physical. It was everything. It was smart, um, edgy, um, and it, it, you know it played on race. It played on pop culture. Mm-hmm. It played on the wars that was going on at the time. And if you look at that's that's the school I come from, and and I try to do that with everything we do, and try to not mimic that, but hold to to the traditions of of that and guys like Richard Pryor, and you know just be as truthful as you can about whatever situation that you're in, and hopefully through truth, that's where you get your best jokes, and that's why we wanted to ground this movie and not make it a bunch of sketches, which is what they've been doing with a lot of parodies. Mm-hmm. This isn't a parody. This isn't a horror comedy with parody moments, and I hate when critics and people call it a parody because. Dude, it's not a parody. You well, let, let's talk about the difference for a minute. I mean, it, it seems like that difference is important to you, uh, and I think it's it's important in differentiating this film and films like it from, like you say, a collection of sketches. Yeah, this isn't a parody. It's not done in the same desperate way. We're not actually we're not making fun of the franchise. Like, dude, uh. it's not. This is a black person's point of view of the paranormal experience. That's all, and that's where the comedy comes from. But I, and when I read. Certain critics say that you know, it's a parody of this, and he failed. And hey, dude, you're, it's not a parody. This is a horror comedy mm-hmm. with some parody moments to make it a little bit familiar. But at the end of the day, it's a movie that stands on its own. It's about a girl that moves in with a boyfriend. She brings some baggage with her, don't they always? <laughs> and that's where the comedy stands from. And then now the ghost, it comes between you know me and my girlfriend. And it's like boy loses, boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl, and, and then he gets killed. And that's that's what the movie is. And unlike you know a lot of, unlike a lot of parodies that we've been seeing recently, and unlike the movies that we actually uh, make fun of in here, we actually we do have a story. Mm-hmm. You know, we it was important to us when we were putting this together that, like Marlon said, that it was a horror comedy and not just a parody. And so we created a narrative, you know, a love story between, you know, Malcolm and his girlfriend, Keisha. And we 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 used that narrative and we hung all these great, big, funny set pieces, many of which are more story driven than they are, mm-hmm. you know, horror, uh, you know, genre convention trope driven. It mm-hmm. was this girl moves in with her boyfriend and not only does she bring, you know, 
the expectation of every night's going to be, you know, she's going to cook these great meals and we're going to have sex and we're going to do this. But none of that transpires. And on top of that, she brings a ghost. So, you know, we really wanted to play uh, with that narrative. How did you guys zero in on um, this and story? Not only that, but if, you, if we used to do a parody, a real-life parody, mm-hmm. then this movie wouldn't have a fucking story. Mm-hmm. Because none of those movies have a fucking story. And that would have been the jokes that we've been telling about how bad these fucking stories are. And that's the send-up that we'd have done. Our story has more story in our one movie than every paranormal movie has had in <laughs> fucking four and I guarantee five and it's it just it's a little unnerving when they call you a parody and just like dude sure well it's dismissive right, right? it's this thing does it works on this one level yeah. and that's it and you guys were clearly reaching for something more how did you zero in on I'm the I'm not saying it's genius I'm saying <laughs> it's shit genius. is fun it, no, I'm it, saying it it, it's funny. If it, you have a story in there, it's at least two levels. It's yeah. funny. It's one of those movies right. that you go smoke a fucking blunt and go enjoy the shit. Or go take a girl that you just meet in, laugh, and you don't have to have much conversation. She'll feel so good after the movie that, hey, maybe she'll give you a little bit. That's all. It's just good fun. Good maybe, wholesome entertainment. Maybe she's laughing so hard you can slip a finger in some butter popcorn and get a good little finger pop in the audience in the theater. Yep. That's all we want, right? It's a good laugh, right? I think that, that about doesn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, Sponsors are gone. Okay. What was that? <laughs> Follow what was... me on Twitter at Marlon L. Wayne. I sporadically do that. Follow me on Twitter at Marlon L. Wayne. Will you drop that in every once in a while? Every now Thank and then I will. Um, what was some of the stuff you guys watched in preparation for this movie besides the uh, TV <laughs> show and you know the stuff that... Everything with a ghost in it. Really? <laughs> Every <laughs> fucking thing. And what did you pull out of that? Like, what started to give you the formation of this plot, these characters, this story? Here's the thing. It's, like, if I told everybody everything that I watched to do this movie, see, we're all computers. Okay, so my experience and my life and the way that my brain and his brain work, the way our hard drive works is unlike anybody else's hard mm-hmm. drive. The way you can watch something and you'll get absolutely nothing out of it. And I'll watch the same thing and I swear to God, in the first five minutes, I got 200 jokes. Because it's just the way my mind works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, uh, so we watched everything in terms of Paranormal State, uh, Ghost Hunters. We watched everything possible. And that's how we put it together. And, you know, Devil Inside kind of was a gift from God. (laughs) And we got that in the fifth like the fifth week of uh, prep, we was wow. in fifth week of prep, and we went to go see the movie. And we was like, "Oh, here's what we could do with the, you know, uh, with the, here's a, a scene or two that we can take and right. inject in the movie that makes sense." It wasn't just like, "Oh, okay, Tyler Perry got a movie, new movie coming out. We got to put Medea in it." It's like, no, no, Medea has no fucking place in a paranormal movie <laughs> at all. So, if you take nothing else from this podcast, everyone, Medea has no fucking place. <laughs> In a paranormal um, Let's talk again a, a little bit more about these early influences. Uh, what was the stuff, you know, we talked about Looney Tunes. Uh, what was the stuff you were exposed to, you know, during these formative years? And I'm going to uh, blow my nose real fast. <laughs> nice. Tweet me at Mall No Man's. <laughs> Okay. Do, do it. Go for right. it. Uh, I'm curious, uh, particularly about when, when you started on your sitcom. Uh, that must have I mean, been an enormous before, learning curve for you. It was you. before the sitcom, man. I, well, I, sure. Like, 
you know, my brother took us to see R-rated movies back when we was like seven. Mm-hmm. And Airplane is one of those movies that stuck in our mind. And, you know, Zucker's on that movie were great. I don't know what the fuck they're doing with the scary movies. They're taking a check. But I know what they're capable of. And they're definitely some of my parody heroes. And I got nothing but respect for those guys. Mel Brooks um, took us to see Blazing Saddle. Um, explained to us who Richard Pryor was. Let us listen to his comedy albums. Um, uh, just, just you know, uh, introduced us to Mighty Pythons, Holy Grail. Asked us what was funny about it, what wasn't funny about it. How do we make it funnier? Mm-hmm. Kentucky Fried Movie. You know, um, when he wrote first wrote "I'm gonna get you, sucker," he sent it to me and Sean. I think I was ten, and I read it on my bed, and I was damn near. I think I peed on my bed. <laughs> and when I read that script, I was like, I called my brother from the payphone. I said, Keenan, yo, did, did you did, who who wrote that? That's hilarious. He said, I did. I was like, you wrote that stuff that came out of your head? He said, yeah. And he used to often share, like, he's doing this uh, thing with Eddie Murphy, uh, which was became raw, but it was called Pieces of My Mind. And it was a bunch of sketches that Eddie was going to do. It was like a sketch slash concert movie. Hmm. And Keenan would tell me some of the sketches, and me and Sean would sit around like it was a campfire, and he would just tell us the sketches, and we'd be like, oh, that's so funny. And at that young age, Sean and I started writing sketches. Really? Yeah, like at seven, eight years old. We used to write sketches. We used to write stand-up. We used to put it in the closet, hide it away. And my brother Damon, you know, he started doing it too. And my Damon, I remember when uh, he told me there's a character on Living Color um, that he did. Uh, uh, what's his name? The, the one that talks about the feces. My eloquence and my feces digresses onto the biodegradableness of what a vagine, or, or a.k.a. a vagina, would stand still in terms of the proximity of the sphincter. Now, let me pull back my foreskin at two or at here. And I remember I used to do that character when I was a little boy because <laughs> that was a guy in my neighborhood that came out of jail fresh. And I swear to God, my brothers would come home from 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 California or from wherever, Damon Jail, and um, we we would tell them show and tell. And we showed I showed him that character, and Damon was like, I'm going to use that one. <laughs> By the time Sean remembers him, me being on the bed, you know, like a dollar. And he's like, by the time you go do it, you'll be creating so many more new characters. <laughs> and so, um, but me and Sean was always going to do this. And so, yeah. and Living Color was our first real shot at really um, doing it. And nobody on the Living Color wanted to write for us. So it left me and Sean to write for ourselves. I used to stay at Living Color till 6 o'clock in the morning with a big bottle of Coca-Cola. <laughs> And I would sit there at a computer and I would just type. Okay. And I would type and I would type. And then one day, Sean looked over my shoulder. He said, what are you doing, stupid? I said, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to get us on these sketches. He goes, okay. And because Sean just became a cast member. He's like, all right, well, let's do it. How old were you guys? Uh, Sean was 20, tw- about 20 at the t- 19 at the time. I guess I was 18. Okay. I think maybe 18 to 20. And so we started writing our sketches. And wow. the first sketch we ever wrote was uh, Snuff and Rome. Uh, it was these two guys that was punks that went to jail and was telling people how they would beat them up, but they couldn't fight. And all they had was these different examples of how they were going to kick their ass. And we sucked in the sketch, but it was <laughs> an awesome experience. And then after that, we wrote Def Jam, a Def Jam comedy sketch. And it was good that our sketches started to get on because nobody would write for us. And as soon as The Living Color let, was off the air, which was later that season, mm-hmm. you know, we was left on our own. And we created our own television show. I think it was 19 and 20 years old. And wow. we, Sean was depressed. And I went down to his house with a big fucking thing of Pepsi. And it was it was when they had the 94-ounce Pepsi. And wow. I, yeah. I would sit there and I would drink it out the bottle. 
and I would sit there and I would type. And he had that, this IBM computer and the final draft, I think it was version two. Right. And I would just type. And he goes, what are you doing, stupid? Because he was depressed. That, you know, the show got, yeah, we left the show. And I said, I'm working on our show. And he goes, let me see. He goes, exterior, outside, interior, outside. <laughs> stupid, that's not how you do it. And so he sat down and we we did what we, you know, uh, eventually became the Wayne's Brothers. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, so from there, we were always two guys that were going to write. And, you know, we write our destiny because the reality is, you know, Hollywood is is a rare place that they're going to hire you. And you want to become your own industry within the industry. And then if the industry accepts you and they want you to do some of their stuff, that's great, too. You know, I'm accessible. But at the same time, I can't sit around and wait for work. Mm-hmm. That was a long fucking answer. It was, a, it was a good answer. Four scores <laughs> and seven years ago. Back when my grandpa was a slave, he got whipped. Turned to the master and said, that's all you got. And he started laughing. Master whooped his ass all night long. But my grandpapa said, <laughs> he might have beat me, but I beat him to the punch. As soon as I learned to read and write, I'm going to write some sketches. <laughs> uh, clearly, comedy was not the problem. Uh, for you guys, did you have anything to learn when it came to actual like sitcom structure? Yeah, and like putting those scripts together and writing a script that was shootable and all that because that can stymie you know especially young writers. Every time I hear stymie, all I see is little rascal, which is another <laughs> one of our heroes. Um, um, we hated uh, when writers would go structure, structure, structure because we felt like they were being lazy and didn't want to do jokes. <laughs> As you. Well, in coming from sketch, the joke can drive the thing. The joke is everything. Coming from stand-up, coming from comedy, it shit ain't funny, it ain't funny. And that's what we're trying to explain to the writers. It's not funny. And at the end of the day, it took me and Sean to to grasp story, and then funny becomes easier. You're trying to... It's like trying to dribble a ball. It's like Michael Jordan dribbling a ball against four people when if he has a design play... With a pick and roll, he knows where everybody is in their position. You make your shot. Now you're one on one with somebody with so many different options, but there's a structure, and you need a structure. Story is God, and without story, then comedy becomes very hard and it becomes a, a task. Whereas if you have a good story, then you could just have fun with the comedy, and that's just an added bonus. Mm-hmm. So it took us a minute. By season two, three, we really, really embraced the story. And did you guys did uh, it was on WB? Is that right? WB. We used the premier show for the WB for the Frog Network, and we actually did pretty good numbers. We used to beat Friends in Atlanta. I think you were on for a long time. Too. Yeah, we did five seasons, and on the fifth season, they gave us a clock and said, "Time's up. Get off the stage, nigger." <laughs> did Did they bring in? A, Time's up. Did, Gotta go, nigger. Did they bring? Gotta in bring a, in Dawson's Creek. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for the audience. If more young white people. <laughs> thanks for the blacks. Now we need white sponsors. Right. Thanks for thanks for the Afro pick and all uh, this. <laughs> we have Dove now. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for pausers. Um, <laughs> now we're at Johnson Johnson. Thanks so much. Uh, did they give you guys a showrunner in those first seasons? Is that how it worked? Yep. We had we had several showrunners. Wes, Les Moonves, to his credit. Um, Les Moonves, who was running Warner Brothers Television at the time, mm-hmm. he believed in us, and so did David John Laring. And they would, at the end of the day, Les Moonves was like the guy, but like, hey, look, these guys are funny. Hey, fuck this guy, fuck this guy. These writers got to go. Those two guys, those two boys, they're funny. They're funny. You, hey, you, you 
dude, just keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, we was like, okay. And he had our back. And he literally fired like six sets of producers. So we finally found two guys that we really got along with. Mm-hmm. And Who was that? Tom Moore and Phil Keller. Okay. And that's when our show became our show. We got mm-hmm. the fun that we wanted. And, you know, it was no longer me and Sean after work being pissed off going, you know what? I'm going to blow this 60 grand on bullshit. <laughs> um, it's actually, okay, I'm, I'm happy doing this show. Yeah. And and it, and wherever we go with it, and I like the guys. And I, we had our friends on board and it became a lot of fun. That's great. Uh, and, and what were you guys trying to do with the show? I mean, you guys are obviously, you're smart in comedy. We're, we're you're n- deep in comedy. Dude, I'm never going to change lives. My shit is not that deep. <laughs> I'm going to change moods. That's all I want to do. I want people to laugh. If, if people think they're going to learn something, uh, learn to fucking laugh. And uh, I would do a shit joke over and over and over again until you learn to laugh at it. Why? Because, yeah, you're, you you start off as a kid, you shit yourself. And then you become this adult and you think you're too good to shit yourself until one day you see your fucking mom shit yourself. And you go, you know what? One day I'm going to shit myself. And you're going to go back to shitting yourself one day in your life. So enjoy some potty humor so at least when you're laying in your own shit, you have a good time laughing at yourself going, <laughs> look at all this shit I'm in. I don't care about, like, you know, I'm not a scientist in terms of, oh, uh, you know, I need to use all these big words. and this. I need to evoke laughter. That's all I care about doing. Are you laughing? That's all I care about. Oh, I'm not that deep. The, the the depth I go through is hopefully that you can embrace something that I say that you can identify with and that I'm fearless in the fact that I don't care if you call me immature. Good. I want to be immature because that keeps me connected to the fun and the innocence of where comedy really lies. Well, and it seems like you didn't have to learn to become fearless or honest as a lot of comics No, I have do. to learn not to. I have to, I have to teach. I have to stay uh Stay convicted in, fuck you. I don't care what you think. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do me. I don't care about your opinions. You could take your articles and shove them up your ass. As a matter of fact, I'm going to wipe my ass with your articles. Just That's what I'm going to think of your articles. Because at the end of the day, I can't. I have to do what I have to do, what I feel good about. And I don't, I don't want to change me. I want to evolve me uh, through time, through tr- trial and error, through years, you know, through experience. But... At the end of the day, dude, I'm just a big kid, and I just want to have some fucking fun. And I want to laugh until it's, it's, there's no more air left in my system to laugh. And then I die. And I, <laughs> I return to a smile because when your skin is off your face, I have skulls in my house. Why? Because I look at the skulls and I go, you know what the skulls have? A smile. So when you die, you're fucking smiling all day long. Skin doesn't mean shit. When you die, you smile all day long. Look at any skeleton. They all smile. This got horrifying. Mm. Um... <laughs> Post that shit on your blog. <laughs> I'm changing live. I went and did it, Rick. <laughs> Fuck a move. Boom. I just changed the live. I just got a hook off the street. Mm, right. She dropped them motherfucking condoms. She popped the dick out of her mouth. I'm, <sighs> I'm changing my life. <laughs> I am just a skull under here. <laughs> uh, tell me about transitioning. You see that look right there? He didn't get <laughs> on the a bike. Lot of that. He didn't get on the Whitey bike, but he, you seen him go to the wristwatch. He wrist looked watch. at it. He looked at it. He did. He did. The Whitey segue. <laughs> <Right>. Slowly kind of turned There we go. Uh, tell me about transitioning to movies and how that was different. How it's the same. Uh, I don't. I don't talk to a lot of movie people. Movies are f- fucking nuts and they're hard to get made and they take a long Impossible. time. Uh, so tell, tell me about getting into movies. Um, I remember I was in college 
and I'd go audition for movies, and I'm really good at auditioning for some reason. Like I say, 98% of the auditions I've been on, I've gotten. Right. And that's Amazing. been since college because I think it's because I don't give a fuck. And I go in there and I don't worry about the material. I look at it as like a musician going, this is my interpretation. When I look at a character, I go, this is my interpretation of my funny Valentine. And so I'm not worried about some doing exactly what the director wants. I show them what I will do with it. And then they give me notes and I embrace what they give me. And I do a refined version of what I originally did. But at the end of the day, if we have two different visions of the character, I'm fine with not getting that role because I don't want to be frustrated in, in the process. Um, so I, I would audition all the time, and I would always get roles. I got everything, you know. I remember I got a role in Juice. I got a role in Father and Sons. I got like maybe four or five movie roles that I would turn down. And I went back to college because I was like, I'm not ready. I don't mm-hmm. like the role that much. And then I got the opportunity to audition for Mo Money. And my brother originally wanted Kadeem Hardison. And I remember I read the script and I thought it was really funny, and uh, um, uh, I, but I was a nobody. My brother wasn't going to give me that. I, I did nothing, right. and so Kadeem. When was it? This was like mid nineties. Is that right? Yeah, this is early nineties. This okay. is like nineteen ninety four. Okay. Kadeem uh, passed on the movie, and then he started auditioning people. And he, I remember Claude Brooks was one of Damon's favorites uh, in the audition. Like Claude was about to get it, and uh, I was a long shot. And I called, and Damon was like, "You can audition, but." Uh, I'm just going to let you know that Claude tore it up. So if you're going to do this, you better come in there prepared. Because if not, you know, Claude already looks like me, minus those funny ears of his. And so um, I was like, okay. And he goes, just think about making me laugh. And so I went in there and I seen the lines. And I look at it as, a, as just a blueprint like I always do. And I literally improvised, like, I'd say 75% new dialogue I used the dialogue as as my blueprint and then I just built a whole house around it and put furniture in. I, like, I was in there auditioning it was a, five, a, a two minute scene I made 25 minutes long and he said the executives was cracking up and um, I got the role and after that I was like you know what it's worth me leaving college to go do that role mm-hmm. and so I left college and went to do that role but you know doing movies are not easy um, doing other people's movies are not easy Doing your own movies are not easy. Every time you, you know, for me, it's it's like we had a great victory with this movie, you know, doing a movie for $2 million. Getting it done is the victory. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that we got distributed is just a whole nother victory, man. That, that was just like, you know, that that, that right there it, and getting it distributed wide with a $20 million marketing spend on a $2 million movie. I mean, it's huge. And to open at $18 million with all the competition, with all these Golden Globe movies, and to, to for your audience to show up like that, it's just like, you know, it, because what it does is it just gives you a chance to do another movie. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you want it to just be that much easier to do another movie. But, you know, sh- short celebrations. We spent all day this morning going, all right, what do we do next? Sure. Uh, and I was going to ask that, you know... You had a, a good string of movies that you had written and starred in, and you know they they all did fairly well. Uh, what was it to pull together this movie? Was it a difficult process? I mean, every, it is a little. It is a a different thing. Every movie <laughs> is a difficult process. You were as yeah. good as you were yesterday, and nobody cares about your history. Everybody cares about. They all run new numbers every time out. So you got to go in there with a blank slate. It's like every year when, you know, it's like when the Bulls won six championships. Every year you start from scratch, mm-hmm. you know. So over the summer, think about what you're going to do. 
and how you're going to come back better next year because everybody's hunting for you. And so, you know, I, I just I don't celebrate long. It's back to work, man. Back yeah. to work. Everything is about work because in the journey, all all that matters is are you getting better? Uh, you know, I do stand-up comedy now, and it's making me better. I see it. You know, it's, it's baby steps, but it's making me better. It's right. making me a better performer. I'm less desperate. I don't have that urge to want to perform all the time. I could think about what I'm doing because I'm not all over-hyper. And, you know, I, I get where to get the laughs, and I get when to lay off. And I really like the role that we wrote for me in this movie because it allowed me to be the straight man, yet be extremely broad, but at the same time, you know, handle a relationship and be the straight man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were there was complexity to that character. It wasn't yeah. just a joke machine yeah. uh, where it easily could have been. Uh, tell me about doing stand-up comedy. Best thing in the world. Is, and it's new to you? Two and a half years in. And I, really? Uh, yeah, I still suck. Why did you decide to start? I suck, but I'm well, sucking. Well, you suck for like 10 years, right? You're supposed to suck 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I, think I'm, I think I'm only going to suck about nine and a half. But, um, you know, it's okay to suck. You know, I actually, look, I... I suck to me. You, you know, the audience thinks I'm hilarious, you know, but I know that I haven't, I've have yet to really get to tearful part of the onion. I'm still <laughs> pulling away the layers. And when I get to that part and I can express humor there in that, in, in, in that circle, that's when I'll be really doing something special. You know, I, I get standing ovations. I get people, people love me as a performer. I just don't think I have anything special to say because I don't know how to say it at this point. I know how to tell a joke. I know how to animate a joke. I just got to learn to tell a joke about me <laughs> and what hurts me more. And that, you know, that those are the things. It's a journey. And you have to it's you know, it's not going to be tomorrow that I do that, because if I try and skip the steps, I'm going to fail miserably and go, well, why isn't it working? I'm I'm going on the proper path. I'm taking my time and there's no rush. Yeah, I've been in the industry 20 years, but. You know, I'm two years into stand-up. Be like, yo, you should do a special, man. It's so funny. And I'm just like, it's funny to you. Uh, right. It's not special to me. Right. And I'll be special after 10 years because I have so much respect for the game of comedy. I watch my brother put together great specials. I watch my other brother, Sean, who's masterful at it. Um, Keenan, I watch Eddie. You know, I went to, I was behind the scenes at Raw. Like, I, I've been around comedy way too long to think that me doing it for two and a half years, that I really have something special to say. I'm just happy that I'm able to get an audience in there to listen to anything I have to say. And just at the end of the day, yeah, they enjoy it. But I can't wait until it's special. I, I often hear that stand-up can be the scariest thing even for, you know, people who, with your kind of track record, people who know they're funny, who can, you know, have proven themselves to be funny. Um, was it a tough beginning for you? How did you take a, a step into the stand-up world? Well, for me, I, what took me to stand-up was I I'd gotten a role. Of, I, I started doing stand-up when I was like 19, mm -hmm. and Sean was big into stand-up and shit. And I, I went to perform when I was high school. I was like, this is beneath me. I I, I, I am a thespian. I am an actor. I've done Shakespeare. The lie that the daddy was fat. The lie that daddy was old. No doubt about that. The lie that daddy had gold. I am a trained theater artist. I stand up is beneath me. I don't create words. I read other words. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, that's the theory I was coming from. And, you know, uh, but I was the honest to God truth was I think I was intimidated because my brother Damon was so damn good that I always felt like no matter what I did, I would never be able to accomplish what he accomplished or say what he said. Because he has a more fucked up life than I did. I mean, he has a twisted foot. And my feet, they flat and <laughs> pigeon-toed, but they wasn't clubbed. Damon got a shitload more spankings. I mean, he went to jail. Damon got shit to say. You know, me, I had a good life. I have brothers that protected me. I have a mom and dad. I have a great relationship with my parents. Like, my dad beat me, but we cool now. 
<laughs> yeah. You know, it's not good father. For stand-up. <laughs> it's not. I didn't. Nobody called me nigga and shit. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I grew up in the seventies when you know we all got cool. I'm cool with gay people. I ain't like for real. Like I just sit there and go. He had a, came during a troubled time. That motherfucker got a lot to say. But you know, that's his point of view. But it doesn't mean that 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 has to be mine. And I think. What's great about stand-up is finding your point of view. And, you know, but I was scared. At the end of the day, I was scared. And I think I was scared to fail. And I think I was scared. I used to hate holding on to material. Like, like when I did it in the beginning, I was like, it's stupid to do the same material over and over and over again. But that's the tactician. That's that's what you have to do when you do stand-up. You're refining things. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're finding new stuff within a script every night. And so, and it's a therapy session. And so... um I got the role of Richard Pryor and I was just like if I'm gonna play the greatest and this was 20 years later I got the role of Richard Pryor two years ago and I I felt like if I'm gonna play the greatest comedian ever then I need to take my method ass and get on stage and so I started doing stand-up and along the way I, I just fell in love with it and it's made me better i look at how i am on award shows i'm not nervous i see an audience now i'm just like i'm gonna eat you fuckers up <laughs> and i got the teleprompter there i'm going all right so that's what you want me to say now what's funny about oh something just happened i could commentate on that like i'm better i'm better it's making me better it's making me better as a writer it's making me smarter i i hear the ooze in my head i hear when a joke's gonna laugh i know who's gonna laugh at the joke i know when black people are gonna laugh at the joke versus when white people are gonna laugh at the joke i know when a, when it's gonna offend women and when women are going to clap and applaud and go, oh, he's just crazy. You have to learn doing it every night in front of that crowd. You hear, I don't hear one big laugh when I, when I do a joke. I hear pockets of laughter. I see who's laughing because everybody could be laughing. Who's laughing the hardest? Who's kind of laughing, but who's a little bit offended by it? Because when I go to the next city, because telling that joke, a joke in New York about Obama is not the same telling a joke about Obama in Kentucky or going to Texas where they hate that nigga and <laughs> like, like they hate him there and if you could tell those joke uh, in that in that kind of crowd in that heated environment and make those people laugh you know then you know you're telling the joke right so you have to refine the setup you could say the same joke you have to refine the setup it just makes you smarter about comedy it makes you more of a scientist more of a practitioner mm-hmm. more of a, a skilled boxer and veteran like you you know how to make something work it's not a, it's not just instinct before it was just instinct and i used to guess around what's funny now you kind of just know okay that's not going to work why because this is not mm-hmm. Are there uh, comics you look at now to say, yes, those that guy is doing it, that guy is touching that thing, or he's you know peeled the onion that far? Uh, that's something for me to aspire to. Mm, I think I've been so busy doing my journey <laughs> that I've yet I haven't really um, embraced other people right now because I don't, I don't want to be anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I don't really I, I should study more um, off the bat. Uh, top of my head, I'll say you know Chris Rock is definitely somebody that always has a, a, a great voice, I and he's think. always kind of had that too. I mean, no, nah, he didn't. Really? No, it, fe- it felt Chris like Chris Rock was so <laughs> offensive. Go watch his first special. Really? He drops the mic. It was the one that he did with Eddie Murphy. But it always felt like he was Produced never afraid it. to get. He honest. never was, but he bombed. 
Well, his sure. honesty. <laughs> that's that's a different Eventually, thing. Eventually, <laughs> he, he, he bombed his way into the honest truth and the funny. And that's why I have so much respect for Rock. Interesting. Rock is a tacticianer. He is a beast and a monster. And I just go, you know, he's just somebody that he understands comedy. And he knows through trial and error and failure. Like him and Sean came up together. And mm-hmm. Sean bombed. Like him and Chris, they had hard times. It wasn't always, hey, everybody knows Chris Rock, bigger and deafer and blacker. And... No, 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 no. Yeah, go Chris Rock the early years. He'll tell you, you know, and that's why, you know, it, it, he is who he is today. And, you know, he's just he's just going to keep getting better. You know, sometimes you go and you plateau. And I like the fact that he stepped away for a minute because you kind of plateau and mm-hmm. you really go. Do I have something to say? And the fact that he stood away for a second, let life happen. Now he reapproaches it. He's going to have something special to say. Um, I think Kevin Hart is is explosive. I think he's really funny. I think uh, he's really starting to get to you know after ten years, he's starting to really get to his truth, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, and he, it's making him better. And and he's you know he's killing it in terms of um, uh, uh, sales. And you know he's somebody I look to and go. I look at his diagram and go. That's a great way to uh, great way to be. And he's a, he's a, a beast, and he works his ass off, and he's he's fearless in terms of his of what he does. Um, I think he's he's what's great about Kev. He's just going to get better because there's still so much more for, and he has so much more to offer and so much more to show. And in these next years, I think you guys are going to see him even more special than you guys have seen special. Uh, my brother Damon is probably one of my all time greats. He's my living Richard Pryor. Um, I think because Damon. Is a guy that can do. Um, he's funny, but he shows you the joke. He's edgy and daring and unafraid and truthful, and he can do characters. See, I love characters. Mm-hmm. When I when I do my show, I always try and do a character. I always try, try and do five minutes where it's like, "Fuck you, audience, uh, shut up and watch me." <laughs> and if you get laughs during your monologue and an applause break, I like those. And even though I'm doing like a thirty minute set. You know, to take five minutes and go. You know what? I'm, I'm gonna do this character. It's, it's just a lot of fun. That that's that's kind of for me. I like the monologues. It's interesting. I mean, it seems to me like you approach each of these. Bill things. Burr, very funny. Uh, yeah. Bill Burr. I like Neil Brennan too. Very funny. Uh, that you approach, you know, writing and stand up and and uh, whether whatever kind of writing it is, through the prism of an actor. Yeah, I mean, you become these characters like when we first started talking that you would, you know, walk around the room and you would be a character and eventually that character would get honed. Mm -hmm. I mean, is this is this the process for you? Well, for me, I like doing characters. I've always uh, when we did Scary Movie, my brother Keenan, like the shorty scenes weren't written. Like my scenes are always the last thing to get written. Like every movie, right? right? Like every movie. It's the last scene to get written. My brother Keenan looks at me and goes. So what short are you gonna do today? <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. Okay, well I guess I gotta get to work. And right then in the moment, I'm like, yo, this, 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 and that. Okay, that's funny. Let's shoot this. Let's shoot that. And I have this ability to do it quickly. You know, when we didn't, I didn't orbit. I walked onto the set, and it, all it said was Buster Perkins, Buster Taps. I went in there. I had a whole tap dance class, like a whole instruction, like manual. I, and I showed it to Brian Robbins and he just like, I did a 30 minute power tap class and he was like on the floor. He was like, how do we keep everything? And so I think, yeah, it's my commitment as an actor makes me a better writer. But the reality is I I, I think my gift is I'm, I'm a, if I had to give myself a, 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 a kudos, it's I'm a performer. Mm-hmm. I'm a performer, and I think 
at the end of the day, I, I love to perform. I always have loved to perform and doing stand up helps me as a performer, but it really helps me as a writer. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm writing good stuff for my performer to perform. Whereas before, I could I could perform shit. Like, it, literally, on Wayne's Brothers, they used to give me shit sometimes. Like, the first season, it was just, it was a shit on a script. And it was like, I'd have to make it funny. But I knew how, I, I'm just desperate. I will tie my dick in a knot with my feet and light it on fire for a laugh. Yeah. Which we did in a haunted house. It's charred. <laughs> it didn't make it in the movie. My dick is so charred. <laughs> Maybe waste. on the DVD. <laughs> Definitely on the DVD. But you know, I'm 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 a performer. At the end of the day, I mm-hmm. I love performing. I love an audience, and I love being silly. And I'm fearless in that way. And I think that when I when I did stand up, that was the one thing I had going for me. And that's why I don't let. That's why I don't let myself get um, blinded by where I need to grow. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't go. Oh yeah, those laughs are laughs of greatness. Right, that's no, not enough. That's, that's you know what you need. Yeah, that's laughs yeah. of a good performer. And I know that when I get the laughs of a great writer and somebody that really went on a journey to discover, you know, the therapy, like what hurts me, and really talk about some real, real shit, then then I'm getting to something great. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, good luck to you. Thank you, bro. I mean, uh, we, I look forward to a lot of great things. It was awesome talking here. Uh, great to meet you, Rick. Thank you. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter, at Marlon L. Wayans. <laughs> I know, I just had to throw it in there. You'll probably edit it out. It's all caps, too. It, it is all caps. You're yelling in my Twitter feed. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter, at Marlon L. Wayans. You see how I backed away from the mic? I was going to do it up here. It's a professional. Like the little rascals make your ears just go... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you guys and congratulations again on the movie. Thank you so house. much, man. Great, uh, thank great, you. Great sitting down with you, bro. Anytime you want to. Now leaving nerdist.com.